Well, good morning. Uh, thank you for joining us today. That uh, We hope that uh, you will find something in our study this morning will be an encouragement to you, and, and I hope that it's something that will be a blessing to you. And, and so we're going to look this morning at a, a concept that I call uh, counting the cost. And that probably doesn't sound like it's a very uh, positive type. You know, usually when we do budgets, we don't, that's not really a fun thing. Let's sit down and look at our budget and see what we can spend. Most of us, that's not a pleasurable experience because for most of us, it typically means that we're going to have to do without some things that maybe we had uh, planned on having. You know, you may have seen in the news recently, there's a lot of talk about prices of things going up, um, inflation. Uh, being an old teacher of economics, uh, I used to follow that. Uh, very closely, um, but, but budgeting in any time is a reality, is that we understand we only have so much income that we're, that we're dealing with, and then we have to apportion that out. Um, but I will tell you that there are things that come up that in all of our lives that are our, our flashpoint, our hot button, that if we have to go into debt to take care of that expense, we would do it. So if it were an injury or something or a surgery that we needed uh, that, that wasn't covered by insurance and it was something we absolutely had to have, most of us would do whatever we had to do, sell whatever we had to sell to come up with the resources to fund that particular procedure because that, was, that would be important for us. Um, there, all of us have a hot button. There's things that we like. And if something comes up that we can participate in that activity. I know there are people that uh, would pay lots of money to go to a cowboy game and have prime seating. If they had an opportunity to do that, they would forego some other things in order to go participate in that activity. Um, and so sometimes we throw the budget to the wind in order to get something that we deem to be valuable to us. Uh, there's a concept in economics also called consumer surplus. Now there's also producer surplus, but consumer surplus is this idea that if we're acting rationally, we will pay no more for something than the value is to us. So if I value um, a loaf of bread at $5, I'm not going to pay $25 for that loaf of bread. Uh, if I'm acting rationally, now we, we can all think about situations. We bought something, we looked back at it and went, that was really stupid. I shouldn't have ever paid that for that. But in the moment when we make the choice, we understand that we're foregoing some money in payment for something that we value more than the money we're giving up. That's called, the, and, the, and the additional value that we get is called a consumer surplus. Uh, there was uh, several years ago, uh, we, were, uh, we just moved in the house that we're in, so it's been like you know, almost 20 years. Uh, but we were looking for the little pulls in the, for the kitchen cabinets. And we went and we went to this surplus place and uh, we needed about 50 of them. I think it was 47 or something like that. So a big number. Uh, and, we needed, and so we looked at the price that they had on the item and it was like $4 or $5, and I, it was going to be, maybe it was $3. So I think it was going to cost us around $150, and I thought, okay, it'll last us for 1,000 years, so yeah, we'll, we'll take them. So we bought them, but 
when we got the counter, they were on sale and we got them for like a fraction of that and the whole thing ended up costing us about $54. Now that was, that was, a, that was a huge example of consumer surplus because the value that I had was at least $150 because I wouldn't pay that, but it only cost us about $50. What a deal. And we can probably all think of things that we bought that were valuable to us well above and beyond what we paid for it. Well, so Jesus kind of addressed this in, in Matthew 13 with two parables. And he talks about a treasure hidden in a field. You remember that one? There's a treasure hidden in a field and that when the merchant found that field and that treasure was in that field, he went and sold all that he had to buy that field. And then he also compared it, he's, he's comparing the kingdom of heaven. He said, that's the kingdom of heaven. It's worth everything that you've got. Same thing, with, and then he went on to tell a parable about a pearl, that when he found this pearl that was of great value, he recognized its value and he sold everything he had to buy that one pearl. That's value, and that was the kingdom of heaven. And so I guess my admonition this morning is that, is that we understand the value of the kingdom of the Lord. And I hope I can convince you of that this morning. Uh, we're going to begin by looking at a passage in Luke, the 14th chapter. And at this time, Jesus had been in his earthly ministry uh, in the area of, um, of Judea. And he was preaching there around Jerusalem and in the small communities in that area. And he had been there for some time. And so when there, he was able to perform all these miracles, and because he did that and because his teaching was so powerful, you know what happened? There was a huge multitude that began to come to him. And it said, now, uh, uh, now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them. Now, so think about what would he do? What would he say to them? as these multitudes begin to build and build and build, it gets more people coming to him. What's he going to do? Well, if he, were, if he were a mortal and his goal was just a big as, to build as big a movement as he could, he'd probably tell them something that, that they would love to hear. But you know what he says? He says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his, his life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we, most of us understand that that word hate means to love less. And so what he's saying is, is that here's all these people coming to him, and he's telling them, and some of them have just arrived. Can you imagine? It's like you've just shown up. You've heard about this guy that's doing all these miracles and, he sh and you show up to see what he does and the first thing you hear him say is that if you don't hate, if you don't love your mother and your father and your sister and your own wife less than you love me, then you can't be a follower of mine. Wow. How's that going to convince people to follow him? But it did. And, and he said, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now that's, that's, a, that's a radical teaching. 
And so you think about what happens with crowds, or if you, if you run any organization, if you're running, uh, I don't care if it's a church or whether it's a, it's a business or anything like that, the, the larger the group come, becomes, you're going to have different levels of commitment in those people. You just are. And so what Jesus, as these people begin to come to him, and they want to be followers of him, he turns to them and he says this, hey, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to put me first, and everything else is going to have to be way beyond that. You're going to have to love it a lot less. And if you don't take up your cross, and you don't, follow, and you don't take up your cross and follow after me, you can't be my disciple. So then he backs this up with a couple of parables. And he says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Uh, I, in order to put this together, I googled... Uh, unfinished buildings and so I'm assuming that this is one that uh, was started and for some reason the builder decided that they could no longer they didn't have the they didn't have the resources they didn't see the profit in it whatever the cause was they stopped building and they left it just like that can you imagine the, the loss of, of material, the loss of resources, even if they sell it, they're going to have to sell it probably at a great loss. And so what Jesus says is to do this, to build such a structure, is foolishness. And so he says this about being, being a follower of his, is that, look, if you don't stop and think about what it's going to cost you, and that you have sufficient to finish it, there's really no point to even start. You know, we can probably all think of things that we've started in the past and have given up on. Um, I would love to be a fantastic guitar player. I would love to do that. But the reality is, is I'm never going to practice with the intensity, uh, just being honest with myself and you, with the intense, first of all, I probably don't have the talent, but also I am not willing to do the hard things that you would have to do to become a really, really accomplished player. Because that, that takes a lot of work. Now, if I live to be 120 or 30 years old and, and I don't lose any dexterity in the meantime, I might get there because I'm progressing, but I'm progressing slow, slowly that it's never going to get me there. The point is, is that you're, you're, we've all, we can all think of something, a dream that we had or an idea that we had we were going to make happen, and we started in and we recognize that, you know, this is just a lot harder than I thought. The cost is more than I'm willing to bear. And so we get sidetracked and we give up on it. You know, there are a lot of people uh, that, that go on diets. They, they, oh, they'll start an exercise program. They think that if I can just get to this point, then I can sustain it. I remember years ago, Connie and I were uh, traveling back from someplace and listening to a, uh, some radio talk show or something. And, and they, they were interviewing this lady on there, and she said that I know 
if I could get to the weight that I wanted to get at, I could, I could keep it there. And I've always, that's been 25 years when I heard that. 25 years ago when I heard that. I've always remembered that. You know why? Because nothing could be farther from the truth. The reality is, is there's tons of people that can get there. The trick is staying there. That's the hard part. And so, uh, the, and the same thing is true with exercise programs is that people start these exercise programs that there's nothing wrong with them, but if you're going to do them for 60 days or 90 days or whatever it is, and you're going to stop after that, then you really probably um, would have been just as well off to have never started. And so Jesus really kind of says the same thing here, is that if we're not willing to finish it, now these are, again, these are people that are maybe hearing him for the first time, and he's already warning them. Don't come down this road unless you're willing to stay on it because you're wasting your time. He goes on and he talks about uh, what king going uh, to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with his 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So you don't pick, you don't pick a war with someone that you know you're going to lose to because you're going to consider your cost before you go into that battle. And that's, that's, that's a rational thing to do. And that's what Jesus would have us to do is really consider the cost of being a follower of him. Because brethren, there is a cost. And if you've been a Christian for a number of years and you look back and you think, you know, it's not too bad being a Christian. I, I haven't really given up all that much. It's time to maybe consider, are you really living as a Christian or is this something that you're doing uh, just on Sundays and it's not really part of your life and you're not giving up anything because you're not really following him the way that he said you'd have to follow him. Um, most people underestimate that cost. And so he concludes here, he says, so likewise, whosoever you does not forsake all that he hath he cannot be my disciples. You think about that. Um, and this is not the only time. You remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus? Remember that example? Is, it was a similar thing. Is this young man that he had a lot of power, he, he seemed to be somewhat righteous because Jesus, he said, good master, uh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus told him, he said, uh, keep the commandments. And, and he said, all these things I've kept from my youth up. So this is, a, this is a person that had some integrity to him. They had some quality to him. He said, well, if you're going to be perfect, if you're going to follow me, here's what you do. You go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. And that young man, rather than doing that, went away sorrowful because he had great riches. You see, that wasn't something that he was willing to part with to follow Jesus. That was a cost he was not able to bear. And so, again, you see that in the, in the New Testament. You know, we think of, in today's world, we think about we want to evangelize, and we do. We want to, we want to attract people to, to, to Christ. But there's a reality out there that Jesus points out in several places that if you're going to if you're going to follow me, 
there's a cost. And he let them know right up front that there's going to be a cost there. And if you're not willing to pay it, there's really no sense in even getting on the road. Now, naturally, I am not here this morning to advocate that you abandon being a Christian and walk out the door and never come back. That's not the point. The point is, is that from time to time, we do have to examine ourselves to whether are we really being a, a disciple or are we merely a Christian in name. So we have to ask ourselves this question. Does it fit? Do, are the things that we are including in our life, do they fit? Um, here's an example. The Apostle Paul was at Ephesus. And he says he was reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, uh, uh, heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now when God, now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul, so even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and diseases left them and their evil spirits went out of them. So you, you see all these miracles that are going on. You think there was any doubt that, there was, that, that Paul was a representative of Christ here? You think they had any doubt about that? Obviously not. So great miracles occurring here at the hand of the Apostle Paul. And many, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. So this news of all these miracles people came in and they began to tell. And it wasn't just one or two people, it was hundreds of people that were coming and saying that th these diseases were, were cured. And they began to come. And you know what happened? And many of them who practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. So these, these magicians, these phonies that were there, they recognized that there was a true power now in their midst. And they recognized that these things were incongruent. That we couldn't have Christ, which was obviously real, and hold on to this other junk that we had before. And so they came and they took all these things and they put them together and they burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it told 50,000 pieces of silver. So as you might expect, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You know, someone might look at that and think, and I did too, if initially you think, well, it's because of the miracles, right? I mean, they were just so impressed by the miracles. You know another thing that made the word prevail here? People's paying the cost. There were people, they were seeing people who were truly committed to Jesus. They were committed and they recognized that the, these old things could not, that could not live in our lives anymore. They had to get them out if we were going to follow Christ. That kind of commitment draws other people. Most people in the world, if you'll think about it, desire to be part of a movement that's bigger than themselves. Most people want to be something, be a they want to spend their life doing something that is valuable, it is important, and that maybe in their later years in life they can look back and go, we did that. The church is that mission for Christians. 
And if we're not spending ourselves in the same way that a soldier would spend themselves to, to defend freedom, then, then that's, an unacceptable, uh, that's an unacceptable cost. And we're not, we're not doing all we should do. We think about the word integrity. Integrity means, uh, in, in Proverbs chapter 11, it says in, the integrity of the upright will guide them, but perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. So integrity is this idea of, of being consistent. The idea of, of not going back is that we make a commitment and our integrity says, if we said we're going to do this and we jump on this path, we're going to do that. We're going to stay on that path. We're not going to get off. We're not going to get sidetracked. And we're not going to, we're not going to jump, a, jump at every squirrel that we see. Instead, we're going to stay we're going to have integrity and we're going to follow after what we said was important to us. You know, there's a, a, some of the, the success literature has, like Stephen Covey, uh, he's got this idea of a mission statement. And so his idea is that you, you really get clear about what's important to you in life. And you write down that mission statement and you look at that mission statement regularly such that you're not sidetracked. And so whatever that mission says that you're about, you measure yourself against that. Well, to a Christian, whatever that mission statement says should reflect some Christian values and some commitment to Christianity. And that, that ought to be the thing that we stand on. That ought to be the integrity that holds us together. And we can't get sidetracked by all the things that that are so luring in this world. And we know there's many wonderful things that, that we get to enjoy. And God has blessed us with some of those things. But let's not turn those blessings into something that become a curse to us. He says this in 2 Peter chapter 2. He says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse than the beginning. I've got a picture up here of memory lane because uh, there's a nostalgia, the idea of the old, let's, let's, I remember how fun that was to go do that, although that was a sin. That, that thing that we might remember fondly was wrong and sinful, and so we, we, uh, we need to turn from it, but yet there's this lure, there's this appeal that we're, that we're pulled to go back to it. This idea of nostalgia is something that's, that can be dangerous to Christians if it's not used right. Now, if you've got the right habits and you grew up in the church and you don't have those negative experiences, then you don't have as much to overcome. But if, you, if you've been involved in, in sinful experiences, then sometimes that can work like a nostalgia that pulls you back to it. It's like, I want to taste that one more time because it was really, it was really uh, pleasurable. Not what a Christian can do. Uh, I, I know there's uh, been a couple of situations where uh, I've had jobs uh, and then I've left those jobs and came back to that job. And that job, just being back in that same environment, creates a certain feeling of I don't know what, nostalgia. I mean, you've, you've been there before and now you're returning that again. In this particular case, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but nostalgia can be good or nostalgia can be bad and it can work against us if it's something that's born in sin. And so uh, 
be careful of our memories and what it takes us back to, to get entangled back in that. You remember the story of Lot. Uh, back when I was a kid, my little brother loved this story. He, he, he just thought this story was fascinating. The story of Lot, when God came to Sodom and he said, I'm going to destroy Sodom, and there were four people that left. There were Lot, there was Lot, his two daughters, and his wife. And as they left Sodom, God told them, the angel told them, don't look back. But you know what Lot's wife did? She looked back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. And so, again, there was this, this I'm sure that as she left and she began to think about the things she was leaving, she couldn't resist the idea of, let me go back and look at that. I just want one more glance. And that one more glance cost her and she was turned into a pillar of salt right there because she was told not to look back. Run from sin and don't look back at it. Run from sin, and Christ would tell us that today, is run from sin and don't look back. Don't be caught up in the nostalgia of it because it's not all that great. So impediments to our integrity. First of all, things that come on TV. You know, today's TV shows, if, if, you, if you watch anything that's cut today, there's, there are some things that it's almost like a checkbox that they've got to include in those shows. And one of them is homosexuality. Is you, you've, if it's a modern show, check the box. You're going to have that. They've got to, they've got to portray that. So if, the question is, is, is that something that ultimately they will convince us to, to accept as well it's okay because it's in every show that you see. Be careful what it's teaching us. Uh, the music we listen to, what do the words say? What, what, what does the music cause us to do? Uh, the books that we read, is, is, that, uh, is that a positive for us? Or is that something that, uh, that takes us back into uh, thoughts that we shouldn't be having? And then the friends that we keep. The friends that we keep can make a big difference. People you hang out with. People you spend, use to spend your time with. Even co-workers. Now, most of us that have jobs, if you have co-workers, there's a certain amount of contact that's required. But above and beyond what's required, are you choosing to make them work friends so that uh, they're having a, an outweighed influence on you and maybe it's one that's not positive? Uh, the music you listen to or you play, uh, and then just your entertainment you choose. What are you choosing and is that, is that causing you to not pay the cost? Jesus warned us. Jesus warned us about that there was a great cost that would have to be paid. I would encourage you today that it's worth it. As he talked about with that treasure that was in that field, or he talked about that pearl that was of great value and that merchant sold all that he had to get that pearl. He's describing the kingdom of God. It's worth all that. There's a consumer surplus in that. There's a greater consumer surplus in this than anything else we'll invest in in our entire lives. But I, as Christians, I think from time to time we need to take stock of where we are and look at our lives and, and ask ourselves the question, are we paying the cost? Are we paying the cost to be a follower of Jesus Christ?
as he called us to do, as he said we'd have to do if we're going to be his disciple. You know, most things in life, and I'll close with this thought, most things in life, you, you kind of get what you put in. So you, you put a little bit of effort into this and you get a little bit better at that. If, if you want to learn a foreign language, you put a little effort in, you'll learn a little bit of foreign language. You want to, you want to learn how to uh, be a better mathematician, then you better study mathematics. And if you work at those things, you'll get a little bit better at them. But Christianity's kind of all or nothing. It's kind of like, it's either, it's either we're all in or we're not in. There's, there's, there's heaven and there's hell. There's no in between. There's no way, well, this guy wasn't good enough to get in heaven, but maybe we won't send him to hell either. There's not, there's not that in between. You're either going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ or we're not. And he's indicated here that there is a cost. And that cost is worth it. So as a Christian this morning, I would encourage you to pay that cost, to examine your life, and to make the changes necessary to follow Jesus the way you would have him, the way he would have you to. Uh, if the church can help you this morning, we are going to offer a song of invitation. Uh, we would ask, if we can pray for you, we would ask you to come forward as we stand and sing together.